Hello, this is Enviro News and I am your host, Jewel. Today, I'm joined with Professor Niels Moorsdorf from the University of Kiel. Niels' expertise is in hydrogeology, which means the workings and powers of water primarily and the digitalization of data, a combo of microscopic and macroscopic science of the water, if you like. In Niels's world, nutrient discharge isn't about pooping, like we heard in the last episode with Latifa, It is about food in groundwater and how it gets to the organisms of the sea. Hello, Niels. Welcome. Hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Nice to meet you too. So my first question, I've already previewed a little bit what we did in the last episode, which was also relevant to water. A different aspect of water today, probably a more holistic one, I would say. Having heard the importance of water when we use it, when we humans use it, in consumption and in sanitation, today I would like to ask you, Niels, what is the importance of water from the geological point of view and how it connects to climate change? Well, that's a big question. I mean, from the geological point of view, water has many roles. Water could be an agent of change, for instance. If you think of erosion Mm -hmm. about rivers, about floods, that move sediments from A to B. Water is also an agent of life, obviously. I mean, not just for humans, as you've heard last mm-hmm. uh, in the last season, but also for other life forms, water is important. And then for us also, water is very interesting to see changes in climate and to understand and to transport these changes mm-hmm. to the other realms of the earth. So from temperature over water to biology, for instance, there will be some of the roads. Maybe it's good to also at this point say that in in geology, we think about water in terms of a water cycle. You have the global water cycle where a cycle would start. It would start off in the ocean, evaporate to the atmosphere, be blown as clouds over the mountains, then rain down and come back to the ocean via rivers, through lakes and groundwater. That's kind of the big picture of water that geology often has in mind. Right, of course. Thank you for bringing this up. I was wondering about the water cycle, to be honest, and that's a brilliant way to describe it. So you have mentioned groundwater. So what is that? What is groundwater? Groundwater, for me, is the most interesting part of the water cycle, but there's others who think other parts are interesting. Groundwater is basically is the water that's below the ground, that's in the soil. And that is often used as drinking water by people dig, digging wells and then pumping it up. But it's also used as water resource, for instance, by trees mm-hmm. whose roots go down to the groundwater. Mm-hmm. So it plays an integral role in the water cycle. And also it's kind of it has an interesting buffer function because the speed of different aspects of the water cycle is much different too. Like if you think in the atmosphere, you can go from sunny to rain in one minute or the other. Mm -hmm. Rivers 
they can swell within hours and they lose their water fairly quickly again. But groundwater is much slower. Mm -hmm. So transport in groundwater usually is in the order of years. Mm -hmm. So it's very slow. It reacts slowly. And therefore, it's also a buffer for, for a dry period, for instance. Mm -hmm. So what you're saying basically is that we do care about the speed, how quickly water you, uh, moves in its different forms from the ocean to the air, to the ground and under the ground, right? Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. This The speed of the processes, in my view, is an, import, an important part because it also it changes between for instance a catastrophe and a normal event mm -hmm. if you think about i don't know how it's um how it's in other places but in germany when there has been a very strong rain event mm -hmm. sometimes they say oh it's the rain of a whole month in one day or half a year in one day yeah and that already shows how relevant speed is mm -hmm. so if it rains over the same amount in half a year it's no problem and if it rains in one day It's a big problem. It's a huge problem, of course, I understand. So can I ask you, so what I understand is that groundwater, pools of groundwater, which is the one under the surface, take also years to form. Did I get that right? Absolutely. It's there because it already had millions of years to form. Yeah. And it's adapted to a certain climatic and environmental condition mm -hmm. because Um, and because they react so slowly, so what you have to imagine is if you tickle water on the ground, some of it will evaporate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'll just, it'll just go back to the air. Mm -hmm. If you put too much on the ground, it'll go off as surface runoff. Mm -hmm. It'll just flow over the surface because it's too quick and the ground can't take it. But then there's a certain fraction that goes into the ground. And of that fraction, a lot stays in the top layers of the soil, like in the top few centimeters. Yeah. And then eventually will ev evaporate again. And only a tiny fraction comes down to the groundwater. I see. So this is why groundwater is much slower in its reaction also to climatic changes, for instance. Right. So if it now significantly rains less at some point, um, at some point on Earth, mm -hmm. then you will see those changes in the groundwater, in the groundwater level. And that's a critical thing because if the groundwater level drops, mm -hmm. People lose their water supply. Yeah. They need to dig deeper wells. And at some point you can't dig that deep. Yeah. So the, the change in groundwater level will be very slow. Mm -hmm. And you won't see that change maybe for some years or even some decades. But still it will adapt eventually to that new situation. I see. So tell us about climate change and the effect of the water and water cycle on climate change and to climate change. So I'm assuming it's both ways. It's kind of like the circular movement of the water is pretty much the circular effect of water on climate change and the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. So effects on of water on climate change are, are really manifold and they are complex and actually they are not entirely understood yet. They're one of the weaker understood parts of the Of the global climate system mm -hmm. that's for instance clouds clouds are white so they shine back sun sunlight into the universe mm -hmm. away from earth so they cool down the more clouds the cooler it is mm -hmm. but that effect is it changes at what elevation the clouds are so it's really a complex thing but this is an immediate effect of water on the climate system on the other hand water itself has a fairly low albedo Albedo is the possibility to reflect light, mm -hmm. if you think, and that's a, a common issue in the Arctic areas, for instance, where you have ice, sea ice, yeah. 
that becomes liquid water and therefore takes up much more warmth. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of large-scale effects of water on the climate system, but there's also small-scale effects. For instance, if you think of a of yourself, when you sweat, you cool down. Yeah. So the evaporation has a cooling effect. Mm -hmm. In the forest, it's usually cooler than in the environment, at least on a hot yes. summer day. Yeah. Because of that, and this is because of evaporation of the water or transpiration of the water of the plants. Mm -hmm. So that's that's a small scale effect. When it's when water evaporates, it cools down. Yeah. Now the other way around, effect of climate change on water is also it's mostly uh, affects immediately the water in the atmosphere. Of course, mm -hmm. a warmer atmosphere can take up more water. This is kind of a physics rule. Basically, the warmer air is, the more water it can take. Right. You use that when you when you use a fan for your hair, for instance. Mm -hmm. You put heated air through the hair to make it to make the water evaporate more quickly. Right. The the hair the hair dryer. Yeah. And so this effect means that you lose water from the soil more quickly because it evaporates faster, mm -hmm. and the atmosphere can hold more water. Mm -hmm. So you have a tendency towards a drought, but interestingly, because there is more water in the atmosphere, when it now cools down, you have a tendency to more rain too. I see. So it has both effects at the same time. You have more drought because of the quicker evaporation and more rain because of the more water in the atmosphere. So where does the rain happen? And the reason why I ask this is because March 2020, we saw the Australian fires, very drought season. And then all through the summer of 2020, and since I think until now, California has also been going through a very stark drought, and we don't see that rain somewhere. So where does the rain go? I mean, this is this is kind of the problem that this the areas where you have droughts and where you have rains, they can be different places. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, the water evaporates in one place, and then usually it rains in mon mountainous areas, for instance. But it can also rain at some entirely different place. I see. Depends basically on the atmospheric movement of the air. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you can have areas that are dry for a very long time. I mean, in Germany, I'm sitting in, in Bremen at the Leibniz Center for Marine Tropical Research in Bremen. And we have seen three years of drought recently. And that really was for the forest in the country was really catastrophic. We have lost lots of lots of managed forest lands. Mm -hmm. And then this year we had torrential rainfall where we basically lost quite some lives, which is very unusual. Generally, we don't have natural catastrophes. Yeah. We are not, not used to that. So we got both basically at the same at the same place, drought and lots of mm -hmm. rain but at different times. Right. I was wondering about the floods in Germany, I think at the end of the summer, wasn't it around August, I think. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking south of Europe was at the time going through stark heat waves. And I was wondering, would that be water bodies moving through the air to the north of Europe or central Europe where then the rain came down? I don't know if it is as simple as that. And I, I wouldn't like to, you know, make it sound too simple when it's clearly complicated mm -hmm. but the, the way that you described it this was the sort of equation that popped into my head i'm not a meteorologist so i have to be careful here i'm also kind of leaving leaving the ground of my expertise but i remember that it was a southern a wind from the south that came up and this wood it was southwest i think mm -hmm. And I think this is basically, this is the process. You have warm, moist air coming up and then it rains down. You see that process better in California, actually, mm -hmm. 
they have they they call it atmospheric rivers mm -hmm. so it's really really warm very wet air that comes from the pacific and then unloads really strong rains on on california i think they recently had some events like that too mm -hmm. so these events happen and in this case the water comes from the pacific there the the connection is more clear actually comes from the hawaii area and they call it the pineapple express <laughs> but that's so I think this is fairly clear. There's a direct connection. Mm -hmm. I see. Very interesting. And then the next question that I would like to ask is, can we predict what happens with the water cycle? For example, I'll give you a quick question that I had some time ago. We are now seeing Mediterranean hurricanes, right? The Medicanes, right? Mm -hmm. And I think my friend, the meteorologist, has been telling me that this is not a very frequent phenomenon. In fact, we kind of see those types of phenomena for the first time so they're really unusual and I wanted to ask in the water cycle that you have already described what types of imbalances are the imbalances that we the people would be able to see in terms of water bodies being moved differently to what the standards were say in the last 50 years in the last 100 years or so what we what we certain almost certainly see is more extreme events Mm -hmm. in general because the changing climate increases the frequency of extreme events and this is something that we are already seeing so when an event that statistically would have happened like once every 100 years yeah will probably now happen maybe once every 10 years mm -hmm. meaning that if rains have a tendency to get, to get stronger then you get stronger rain events and more of those strong events for instance mm -hmm. so this is something that we are gonna that we're going to see we're going to see certainly and the mediterranean area you mentioned it this is forecast in the climate change models to get much more much drier i heard about that <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it's one of the one of the most significant, from what I know, forecasts of the IPCC report is a much drier Mediterranean area. Yeah, I read that 50% pretty, pretty soon, I think, something like that. Yeah, exactly. Something like that. And yeah. this is this is combined with a warmer temperature. This adds up. This is really a problem for, for that area. Mm -hmm. But also in other parts, we will see more droughts. Mm -hmm. One aspect there is, again, and you you may ask, like, what, how can we prepare for that? Yeah, how can? Can we prepare for that, I think? On the one hand, I think it's the most important thing is to try to avoid the strongest impacts of climate change, to have said that. This is the, the primary way to go. Mm -hmm. Since it's not looking like we will avoid the most dire consequences, we have to prepare for them in any way. And it means reducing the speed of an event is always good. Mm -hmm. So, for instance, there are some examples where you, in a city, for instance, where you have flooding problems, you want to allow your water to, to be drained into the ground yeah and basically recharge the groundwater this is what happens <laughs> that buffer that you have and for that you don't build big concrete areas so many of us will know a parking lot and there's always puddles on a parking lot after a rain event yeah they are and this is exactly what we don't want to have mm -hmm. so we want those puddles to be to be drained into the ground basically 
Mm-hmm. This is one, one aspect. And in general, you need to store water more and make sure that you are equipped for a longer drought than you would expect. Because this is kind of, with the changing extreme events, Yeah. and again, example from Germany, the, those floods, they were not unusual. I mean, yes, they were unusual in terms of the amount. It's been 100 years since the last time that valley was flooded as hard as this summer. Mm-hmm. So if something is 100 years away, mm-hmm. No one remembers. Yeah, yeah. People would say, uh, no one has ever seen that. But that's not true because their grand-grandparents have. And so you have to prepare for events that seem to be beyond memory, but still have happened before. So recording the events and then, you know, recording the details of the events would probably be a good way to prepare cautionary, let's say, measures so that we can deal with a situation that may reoccur, like the flood in Germany this summer, I suppose. Is that correct? Exactly. You need to record and you need to kind of think of events that you wouldn't expect at that place. Right. Also with the drought in the last years, people have, when it was the first year, they said, oh, it's fairly dry, no problem. Mm -hmm. In the second year, they said, oh, it's really, really dry. That's very unusual. We never had, or we usually don't have two years of drought after each other. Mm -hmm. And then in the third year, we were at that, oh, no one has ever seen that. Yeah. And these are the events that will be more frequent. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. And of course, then that also affects crops and food availability and food accessibility. And of course, water for hydration for us, for humans, for human consumption, and then so on, so on. Very interesting. I wanted to go back for a quick second to what you said before about, say, parking lots where you see puddles after rain and that two things that you mentioned that were very interesting that one should be there should be a mechanism for the puddles to be removed or maybe absorbed so I think there are uh, materials new technologies that the it's not concrete per se it's something that absorbs the water and uh, drains it away and the second thing is storing water at an extent where we wouldn't expect that we would need it but let's have it in case of and I I wanted to ask you, are there such technologies? I've seen your track record. You have been talking to like policymakers and people that may be thinking about solutions uh, in case huge bodies of water do come down either from, well, mostly from the sky. And I'm wondering, are these things that could work well within policies and within decision making at a national, let's say, level? Are you aware of something like that? Yes, absolutely. There are things like that. First, I think we always need new technology. It's always good to have them, but the techniques are there already, so we don't need to wait for new technologies. They will hopefully improve things, but the techniques are there. Mm-hmm. And the most likely implementation of these measures is often not at the national level, but at the local level. Right. So it's a it's a city that can that can make these decisions. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the case of the puddles with a parking lot, in the end, what you want to do, you just want to remove the concrete at the place where the puddle is and then make some permeable ground. Mm where the water can flow through. Mm -hmm. That's basically it. It can be as simple as that. Of course, you can plan it a little bit better. But so in the end, for instance, you might want to have the parking lot as a huge bowl. I see, like a basin, yeah. Water intentionally 
that is in there and then is drained. And the parking lot stores a little bit of the stormwater and drains it away. Right. But doesn't leave it out on the streets and leave it running through the house. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of techniques to, they, they call it a sponge city, basically. So that a city can, can take up water. Theoretically, or some people go in the direction of having grass on your on your house roofs. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a roof with grass on it, that will store maybe an inch of rain, maybe one centimeter or two centimeters of rain. Yeah. But that's already quite a lot. Uh-huh. And so much less water drains through the channels, through the streets. Mm-hmm. because it stays on the house roof. So all these, there's plenty of small things that can be done that improve such a situation. I see. That's very interesting. I see. Thank you very much, Niels. This has been a very interesting discussion and also a lot of great information regarding water and how water affects us both outside of the cityscape, but also inside the cityscape. You have given us a lot that we can think about and uh, reflect and probably will come back with some more questions, maybe another episode where we can also actually talk about uh, your research and your actual work. I would say this is a wrap up. And before I go, I do have uh, one more question. Do you think that there is something that we can do as citizens that we're not already doing regarding saving water or storing water? I know that in some countries, there are structures like, you know, makeshift structures, structures that people make where they can store rainwater. And I've seen a lot of uh, these things pop up in India, for example. I'm not sure about Africa, but I've I've seen a couple of nice little constructions that come from different places in India, which is very interesting. But I wanted to ask from your perspective, is there something that we could be doing more as citizens so that we, A, understand maybe the water cycle a little better and also use that knowledge to our advantage so that we don't have to face extremely arid circumstances where we live or extremely wet circumstances where we live so that we can utilize all of that into something that can be used again. I mean, from my perspective, it might be really keeping the water upstream. So if you think of the water cycle, water always flows down. Mm-hmm. And once it's in the ocean, it's kind of lost for our usage. Mm-hmm. So every time water flows down, we lose something. Right. So we want the water to stay up. That means keeping rain water for for watering your garden or your plants I see. or even using it in your toilet and using that water if you're a farmer you keep the water on your property you don't let it run off mm. without it being used first of course at some point it runs off so that's kind of letting unused water flow downstream is kind of a a loss mm-hmm. Thinking that way could maybe help a little bit. Mm-hmm. I see. That's very interesting because you're mentioning very simple things that would not take a lot of mechanics or mechanisms no, to no, put no. in place. And I'm sure that they are quite traditional as well. So before we did have technology for irrigation, people did use rainwater to water their crops and to, to make sure that they had enough water to do the things that they needed to do. Uh, so it's kind of a relief, I would say, and also quite refreshing that it's the first time that we are not hearing about the wonders of technology. And I'm sure <laughs> technology is very, very important, right? It is. Yeah, 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 of course. But it's also nice that there is this very simple thing that we can be thinking when it rains instead of like getting the blues because it's all wet outside and we can't go and do whatever activity. We can then be thinking, oh, well, this is a good opportunity to take the bucket out and and, and try to, to store some water maybe for my plants 
plants maybe for my pots and, and so on and so on. Very interesting discussion. I have to thank you again. Thank you for having me. A quick summary is we should be careful of what the water cycle is, what the water cycle looks like and how it affects our activities and also life on earth. What I will keep from this discussion is the very first thing that you said that water is life. It's true. Water is life. And the second thing that I think you described, but I'm going to put it in very simple words, water is recycled perpetually. Did I get that right? Yeah, I think you did. And if I may add one, one more thing. Absolutely. That groundwater is a limited resource. It's not unlimited. So you can't, at some point, it will stop pumping. So therefore, use the water from above ground as long as possible. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. That's a good one. I think it's also what happens with when they pump water for in the deserts in Africa. Mm -hmm. So they go deeper and deeper and deeper and then at some point it dries up and it's not the best news. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for bringing it up. I see what you mean and I think we should have a new motto. Use the water of the surface before you use the groundwater. I like that very much. I am hoping that the dire, dire situation that comes, uh, that is slowly coming to the Mediterranean will somehow be inhibited by whatever actions we choose to take within our European context, but also it should be the same discussions pretty much everywhere, I would say. And hopefully we will see some change, especially with people, especially with what people understand and also what people do. And I'm also hoping that policymakers and decision makers also take into account all the good advising that science has to provide to them so that measures can also be taken at the local scale, like you said, so that we don't have to face extreme shortages or extreme abundance of water. One thing, again, from the IPCC report, like you mentioned, is that this latest report from July basically highlights the local actions more than the global actions. So I have made up this little logo that I don't use very much, but maybe I should, that says, think global, act local. So the opposite. <laughs> Yeah, thanks again. This is the end of this episode. Thank you for coming and thank you for explaining to us uh, the importance of water from the geological perspective. Very different to what we heard before. Very enlightening. And I hope we'll have you again. Thanks a lot. See you. Enviro News Podcast is produced by me, Enviro Jewel. Please subscribe and spread the word. You can find me on Twitter at jewel underscore crush underscore axe. The music clip is Vitoro, provided by Blue Dot Session under retribution license. Thank you for listening. Bye for now.